Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, I'm joined by Daniel Coyne, the CEO of OpinionX. Daniel, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me on. Yeah, tough to have you on. Uh, typical fashion with the podcast is we go back to chapter one, work our way from there, keep it conversational and see what happens throughout. So no different here. Uh, you grew up in Kildare. Uh, I think the secondary school you went to was Skuldara. Any yeah. favorite memories from your childhood, standout memories? Oh, that is a good question. Um, I have a lot, to be fair. I had a very good childhood. Um, North Kildare is a lovely place full of lovely people, I would say. Um, standout memories. Uh, I mean, the summers growing up were just unbelievable crack. They were like uh, summer camps, living in like the countryside, spending a lot of time with friends, literally just wandering through fields and and messing around in places that we shouldn't have been so just those those summers growing up were were the best excellent while you were growing up walking around those fields and exploring life uh, is there anyone you think uh, who had a big influence on you or who do you think inspired you the most it's a good question and it's one that i generally struggle with uh, i find i don't necessarily like latch on to like a um like a a mentor figure or or really find people along the way that I, I kind of put on a pedestal for some reason that's just never really been the way I end up interacting with people that, that could be because like I have a very uh, like solid relationship with both my parents and I think they probably fill that position for me growing up mm. um they both take like very they're they're very different personalities so that's possibly why it was like a well-rounded position that was already filled um like my mom is the probably the most compassionate person I've met she's hugely like people animals children orientated and that's something that I uh, see so many great values in her around that um and dad was like the, the traditional businessman side of things he he's the kind of person who is always there to give you a hand and, and guidance whatever the decision was or or whatever kind of predicament you ended you ended up in so between the two of them I feel like I got this great rounding of values and examples and because of that I don't think I was really out in search of a, a mentor figure growing up they kind of filled that position for me sounds like you had uh, two great parents yeah before we move on to business, a couple of things I know about you through my research is you've been to places like Greece, America, Finland, Republic of Macedonia, yeah. uh, Portugal, fan of surfing, you play guitar. Uh, mm-hmm. What's one thing you're into or curious about that not a lot of people would know about you? Oh, that is a good question as well that people wouldn't know. I feel like my uh, interest in this is actually shockingly short when I go to try and, and recite it. Um, One thing probably in the last few years that I've realized is uh, I love reading, but not really business books. Um, So I've gotten gotten into reading a lot more from kind of the end of college onwards. It was something that I really fell out of for for a good number of years. Um, And I've just pulled myself right back into it with a few good daily habits, Uh, generally fiction books. I, I love a good story. So yeah, I think that's something people would know about me in particular, because it's, it's really only been the last few years that it's kind of come back in for me as something of interest. You're a DCU graduate. You studied, I believe, marketing, innovation and technology was the course. Yeah. Where did the interest in 
marketing slash technology stem from? Yeah, when I was probably coming towards the middle of fifth year in secondary school, I had already gotten myself pretty deep in like the technology and startup scene in Ireland. Um, that's when we had the Digital Youth Council of Ireland going at that stage. We were about a year in and I was really starting to understand the impact that technology can have. I was seeing all of these very inspirational people around me that I loved spending time with. And I just wanted to spend more time around those types of people. And the way I kind of viewed them were this combination of things. They, they weren't like a straight discipline around any subject. I mean, we're, we're still talking about like 16, 17 year olds, but um, everyone was interested in everything. And I really wanted to try find a course like that. I wanted to find a course that was this hybrid uh, between business and technology. And I rocked up to the Higher Options Expo in October of sixth year. And I literally just went stand to stand. And I was like, do you have a course that's, two thirds business, one third technology. And that was just what I asked. I just went college to college and asked every single one of them. And the only one that really had a good answer was DCU. Uh, I met this amazing student ambassador called Hannah Dobson, um, who now works with Enterprise Ireland out in uh, California. And Hannah, within like five minutes, had just sold me not only on uh, marketing, innovation and technology, but on DCU, on the society Enactus, which is a student social entrepreneurship society. She had told me on the entire thing. She basically wrote the story for my college experience in those few minutes. And in a lot of ways, it's exactly how it played out. Um, like I, I really love Mint. I, I think it was a great decision at DCU for me. It was an even better decision than Mint. The, the types of people and, and the little culture that kind of exists within DCU, for me, I obviously I haven't experienced other colleges, but it feels very unique. Um, in the way that there, there's not really a hierarchy of social status in a college like DCU, possibly because it's still quite a new university. And that was always something I was quite, uh, that's quite important to me. And then Enactus ended up being the place not only where I got hands-on experience, uh, learning about loads of things I, I really like, particularly around like social, Im uh, social impact and entrepreneurship, but it's also where I found most of my close friends that I met during university. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, just that, that one interaction was really impactful and um, that's how I ended up following marketing, innovation and technology. Amazing. If anyone takes a look at any of your social channels, particularly LinkedIn, they'll notice that you're a, you're a busy guy. Uh, yeah. One thing that stands out to me is that um, you, you, you've networked a lot. A couple of things, Dublin Tech Summit. Uh, mm -hmm. You were you, outreach and management of 200 speakers across all stages of Dublin Tech Summit and also the youngest person globally to become a Techstars global facilitator at the age of 19. So two-part question. One, how important is networking and how did you get involved in all these different things as well while you were at DCU, two-time semi-finalist at Enactus World Cup as well? Yeah, I, so networking is, is really important. Like I realized this pretty early on when I was, uh, right at the start of transition year, I tried to launch a startup straight away. I tried to build an app for, uh, it was a music announcement social network was kind of the, the line on the tin. And yeah, I realized right off the bat that it's nothing really about what you read in a book. Uh, like I read every business book in TY from lean startup to zero to one, all, all things in between. And I realized very quickly that this was never going to work. Like I couldn't just sit alone in my room and try and like put together an idea. Uh, because even if I, even if I had the skills to build it, there's so much more that encompasses a, a startup than that. 
Um, so I set out from the start to, to figure out ways to meet a lot of new, interesting people. But the, the route that I went down that wasn't really the traditional like networking that you'd be told about or taught about in like a, a, a networking like lecture or workshop. I didn't try and optimize towards meeting as many people as I could. Um, really what I was trying to do was just find places where I was like insatiably interested in the people that were in the room. And that was just what I did. I basically spent like two years after that, fifth and sixth year of secondary school, uh, booking tickets to every single technology event I could go to more so just to try and and like see what workshops were going on i while i while i was always quite an outgoing person i was not actually very good at networking and i'm still not necessarily very good at again what you'd picture of networking like at a conference going person to person talking i i'm not that good at that um but i, I love those events and that's really what uh opened the door for me and, and like it's kind of what led to a lot of those different things on my linkedin page that you would have seen um, so for example, one of the first things I start, I went to was I volunteered at Web Summit in like 2013, um, which was definitely against the rules because I'd only turned 16, but I didn't tell them that. Nice. And uh, off the back of Web Summit in the volunteer Facebook group, someone threw in a link to a startup weekend down in Cork. So I booked my train and my parents paid for a hotel and I went down to Cork to go to that startup weekend, which introduced me to the whole world of tech stars. Then I kind of went all in on Techstars for about two and a half years. Um, then right as I was coming out of the Leaving Cert, about three weeks later, I just cold emailed the CEO of Dublin Tech Summit and explained why I thought I should have a job there. And I pretty much got a job by the end of that day, uh, initially as an, in, as an intern, but within two months, I had taken over the startups department and, uh, and that kind of yeah led, led quickly to becoming one of the lead organizers of the conference by year two. And then on the Enacta side, that, that's kind of a direct output again of that conversation with Hannah. Um, I joined Enactus right off the bat, first year of college, uh, a few weeks in on their committee as one of the startup team. Later that year, I set up a, a social enterprise with Ben and Jerry's in the UK through Enactus, which helped uh, ex-prisoners to kind of reintegrate into society through soft skills workshops and work experience opportunities as well. And then kind of took over within Enactus and DCU as as kind of the person who ran the whole project side of things and set up a social entrepreneurship accelerator in DCU that ended up bringing about 150 people in hands-on working on like charities and social impact projects. And then off the back of those two, that, that's what led to the Enactus World Cup, which is where students across the world, it was about 38 countries at the time, uh, the top uh, university and their kind of portfolio of projects will be picked to represent that country at the Enactus World Cup. We were lucky enough to be picked both times that I was involved with DCU and both times we got to the semi-final of the World Cup as well, which again was a crazy experience. And that uh, at the Enactus World Cup, the first year I was there, that's where I met one of the vice presidents of Unilever, which is how I ended up over in, in London as a digital and innovation lead for ice cream with the likes of Ben and Jerry's and Magnum and, and all those. So it, it, it wasn't like a big plan. It was really, how could I get into the room with the, the most interesting people. And every time I got into that room, I, I found a new room and I kind of just jumped from one to the other until I ended up right here. Well, 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 uh, you've done an, an amazing job and uh, definitely some lessons to take there for anyone else who wants to work their way into different rooms. Um, it's, it's not easy, but it can be done. 
before we move on to you being a CEO and founder, you've you've alluded to the year, just over a year you spent at Unilever. Uh, and I noticed that your job involved leading an internal an internal digital and DAA brand strategy for ice cream and tea categories, specifically yeah. in the UK. Brands such as like Magnum, Ben & Jerry's, Pure Leaf. Um, the question around is that I have around it is you developed the social media strategy for Kinder Ice Cream. Uh, launch which was the biggest fmgc which is fast mover consumer goods brand launch in all of uk in 2019 um day one of entering unilever on that specific project what were you tasked with and what was your approach how did you go about that yeah interestingly uh, day one at unilever i was tasked with absolutely nothing um but i arrived right uh, as my manager went on a, a two-week trip uh, to South Africa to visit her family uh, and I kind of just rocked in and, and at that stage there wasn't really a, a remit for my role. As I said, I met, I met the vice president of Unilever at the Enactus World Cup and together over the course of about seven or eight months we actually built that role that I ended up going into. So I wasn't really picking up any, any work left over from anyone and because of that as well at the start there wasn't really any expectation for what the role was. So I, I set about doing kind of what we just talked about. I jumped onto the little internal network tool within Unilever and I messaged every single person that had digital in their title. And I spent the two weeks just meeting everyone I could, um, which paid off hugely. I mean, by uh, within about three weeks, I had landed myself on a, a digital or a kind of a national digital team in Unilever building search strategy. Uh, for all the different category brands there's about five of us on that um, and and from there the ball just kind of got rolling so it was it was throughout that year that we started to figure out what we wanted to do uh, I took on a few key roles at first especially as that digital lead which involved building out um, so like kind of rounding out the existing e-commerce strategy particularly around content that the brands had uh, that was kind of where I started but the role moved on a lot from there and I started to think a lot about uh, a data-driven marketing strategy, which is an area Unilever is getting particularly interested in, but didn't really have uh, much experience in. So um, like, as you know, kind of off the bat with a data-driven strategy, you need data to drive the strategy. And very few of the brands had that. I mean, if you looked at the really big names like Ben & Jerry's and Magnum, those guys were collecting uh, like solid consumer data the way any like big business would. But the, the majority of brands in a company like Unilever are much smaller and, and they didn't really have anything to bat with. So I started really thinking about how a brand can build a data-driven strategy when they don't have any consumer data, reverse engineering kind of the target personas that they're planning to, to go after. Um, and during that process, Kinder Ice Cream landed on my plate as like this new brand that was going to be launching in the UK. And we, we just applied the same logic to Kinder as we were with the likes of like Cornetto and Calippo and those smaller brands uh, that didn't have data strategies. Uh, yeah, and it ended up becoming the, the biggest FMCG launch in the UK in 2019. It, it wasn't known as that when it landed on my plate, but it was a really great project to, to be involved in. Uh, and yeah, I kind of moved from there about halfway through the year at Unilever um, onto an innovation role. They decided that these digital lead roles were, were going really well and they wanted to turn them into like full squads of about eight or nine people. Uh, I had the opportunity to join one of those squads, kind of go deeper on 
Kinder ice cream individually or move into this other new role that they were inventing, uh, which was like an innovation lead. And I love a good new role. So I jumped into the innovation lead. It was like a, a pilot project within Unilever globally for, for like a lean, like a startup program is what they called it. Um, mm. and, and the UK was picked as one of the pilot countries. And within a, like a few weeks, I ended up getting to, to lead my own project with a, like a cross-functional team across the UK, working on like an, a global priority innovation space, which is a fancy way of, of saying just like an idea that one of the bosses had. Um, and I ended up working on some really cool projects there as well. So it was a very diversified year. I, I definitely learned a lot that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, for sure. You've mentioned the word brand a couple of times through the last few minutes. Uh, say to say you, you've got a good good personal brand, uh, twice solicited in Ireland's 30 on a 30 list. So I guess my question is, what should people wanting to build a personal brand not overlook? And is there anything you think people spend too much time fussing about when attempting to build a personal brand? That is a good question. There's a lot of workshops and videos and articles you can read about building a personal brand. And uh, I don't think I ever really followed any of the steps on those. I think uh, a personal brand for me is probably just one of the nice outputs of following something that I was really interested in. So Mm. yeah, overall, I just won't worry too much about really trying to like architect a a personal brand together. I think if if you follow interesting things and you kind of commit every so often to to following through on projects and, and making sure there's an output at the end of it, that's what a personal brand is really based on. And you're probably better off just spending your time on that and the brand will come together. If you could add one subject to the secondary skill curriculum, mandatory subject, what would that be? Uh, interestingly, I actually was part of the team that did get the, the subject added. So I can kind of add a little bit more to this. Um, yeah. I was really passionate about computer science when I was uh, at a few stages, when I was around like uh, 12, 13 at the end of primary school. And I got quite interested in it again around transition year. Um, but obviously it wasn't in school curriculums at that stage. So as part of the Digital Youth Council of Ireland, that was one of our main projects was lobbying the government to add computer science as a primary and secondary school uh, subject. It was, uh, we had a few cool kind of projects along the way with that. We were the first team to teach a world leader how to code. So we taught Kenny how to code about a week before the Americans jumped in with Obama, which was a nice win for us there. And then we, we jumped in with Enda again a, few, a year later on another project around robotics. So those sort of actions kind of exposed him to like STEM focused young people who are doing all these different different bits of work around the country. Um, and then we also would just represent young people's interests at a lot of like public and private sector events, uh, kind of talking about digital literacy and the future of uh, STEM within Ireland. Uh, and, and that was a project that went on for about two and a half, three years. It extended from when I was on the Digital Youth Council to being an advisor once I'd left secondary school. But yeah, overall, for me, computer science was just always that missing subject. It was the, the combination of a practical subject that you're learning skills that you can go on and apply in future jobs. Um, but it's also really a way of thinking as well, which is very important, uh, f- particularly at those young ages. So yeah, I, I'm proud of the fact that we were part of the effort to successfully bring computer science into schools in Ireland. Daniel, what amazes me about all this is you did all of this while at secondary school and still got 555 points. That's phenomenal. 
Absolutely phenomenal. You uh, recently wrote an article. The article was titled 20, Re- 20 Lessons from My First Year as a First-Time Founder. I'd like to talk a focus on two of them. First mm-hmm. one being customer discovery is key. It has informed every good decision we've made. Talk to me. Why did that make it a list? Yeah, to be honest, if I was rewriting that list, the, nearly the entire t- thing would just focus on that learning. Um, so for the people who don't know, customer discovery is a fancy way of just saying like you go out and you talk to people uh, really that's that's at the core of every successful startup we're, we're often misled that there are these visionary people who kind of pop up and just see they they can see in their mind's eye what the future looks like and they just go and build it and it's exactly what everyone needed but really that that's not only like such a rare exception it's also a story that's kind of rewritten after the fact when in reality those teams started off with really understanding like a a burning problem that a very specific group of people had. And the process to getting to that is called customer discovery. And right now, the way that typically works is you just set up Zoom interviews, you go to coffee shops and you have a 30 minute conversation with someone where you purposely avoid kind of telling them what your idea is. And you just ask them a lot of questions about their life and the problems they have, the challenges they're trying to overcome and their ambitions. That's essentially all customer discovery is. The reason there's a whole field around it is because that's a lot harder to do than it sounds because all of your first instincts are to like kill the awkwardness by just telling them your idea, to really just dig for compliments in a way to to kind of validate the the conversation that's happened as well. And so there's a whole field around it because it's really teaching kind of first-time founders and people interested in the space how to steer clear of those little pitfalls and kind of dig deeper for for kind of the underlying why behind people's uh, actions and and motivations. Really what we're doing at Opinion X is building like a whole new way of doing that, a a whole new way of understanding people's biggest problems, their motivations uh, and the way that they think. And we think we've got a really interesting approach to that. So yeah, really the last kind of year of my life has very much revolved around that uh, kind of whole space. The second one is avoid feature focus. Something I've been a big believer in from a role that I've been involved in is uh, avoid feature and benefit selling. So can you tell me why that made the list? Yeah, that was a hard lesson to learn. Uh, again, we have these instincts that, that are just wrong a lot of the time, especially when it comes to building a startup. Um, for me, like I often relate this back to learning how to ski. So we were not a family that ever went on skiing holidays. We didn't really do many abroad holidays overall. Uh, but I went skiing for the first time uh, during second year of college with it, like on a university trip. And one of the weirdest things for me is how counterintuitive skiing is. Like the main lesson is you kind of, you're, you're going downhill, but you're meant to lean sideways into the hill, which just like in your head, you're just going to fall over. It makes no sense that not only would you stay up, but you'd go faster. Um, and, and the same thing applies in a lot of ways when you're going to build a startup, like your instinct is if you're building something that you think is really great, the best way to sell it is to explain the things that you've built that are really great. And it's what everybody does. Like you create a website and you write exactly what it, like how your tool or product works. You explain the different features that you've built because you, you know what those features mean you know that that feature is what's going to save someone time or reduce their headache. And you assume that by putting that label on the front of your product or website, 
that other people will see that and say, oh, cool, that will save me time. That will kill my, you know, like my headaches or whatever challenge I have. But that's not how, how other people think. So you really learn quickly or sometimes painfully slowly in some cases. And um, then what you actually have to do is just tell people why what you're building is important and when they should use it. And really the features come way later. Uh, that's when someone's already kind of invested, uh, like at least emotionally, in, um, in what you're doing. So yeah, it's painful learning. It often comes far too late. Uh, I see a lot of ideas die prematurely because they never move away from that feature focus. And again, this is, this is something that we're baking into Opinion X. I mean, all Opinion X is about is get away from the features, get away from how it works, focus on the problems that people have so that you can identify the biggest, most burning problems uh, that you can solve for them. So yeah, again, an idea, a lesson that's baked into what we're doing now. Daniel, the industry that I've been involved in for the last couple of years, there's, there's, there's people at 60 that still do that. So the fact that you figured that out and learned that lesson, although you said painfully slow, I, I would probably disagree because you look under the age of 30 and if you've learned that under the age of 30, you're uh, you're a hundred miles ahead of the majority of people out there, but you've touched on your current business, Opinion X. Um, what was the gap in the market that you saw? Oh, this is going to be a, an ironic answer because yeah, really, that's why I asked it. Yeah, Opinion X is, is like I've mentioned a few times. Like the the angle that we're going for is that we help people building a new product to find product market fit faster to essentially find a need for a specific group of people that they want so much that they chase you for it. Um, and that's just not the, the kind of things that we tell people that like are really important to think about and, and to follow when you're setting up a business are not at all how we went about doing it. And in a lot of ways, that's why like I've been working on OpinionX for years, really. Uh, and I met my co-founder, Dara, uh, over a year and a half ago. Like really, we, we only started to find initial pull from people um about like three months ago so i think i would have got to this point a lot faster if i followed the principles we were doing um really the root of opinion x came from this like year and a half deep dive that i went into on digital democracy so i started to go to a lot of these very niche events uh, all over the place in ireland and the uk and france wherever i could manage to get a free ticket to something at the time um, basically just learning a lot about what was going on in this digital democracy space. Uh, and the area I was particularly interested in was like, what tools can we build to better understand people? I mean, th this interest was coming out the back of like 2016, 2017, seeing mm. um, kind of like the impact of misinformation in uh, Brexit and the Trump election, seeing like the, the impact of just like enter our infotainment with like Facebook and what that le leads to in places like Brazil and Myanmar, like just seeing all these terrible ways that we we're trying to use technology to understand people. And for me, the, it made sense that if I wanted to build something that better understood people, I should go and look at like digital democracy. It seemed like the frontier in that space. Mm. And in, in a lot of ways I did learn a lot from there. I found this really interesting emerging aspect of technology called wiki surveys that were being used very successfully in places like Taiwan. I went, I met with people from that group in Taiwan. I kind of did all the research I could. And that's really where the technology behind OpinionX came from. It, what we're doing in a lot of ways is commercializing wiki uh, survey technology. Um, but then uh, I unfortunately figured that the way that you do that is that you, you make a wiki survey tool, which is what OpinionX really is. 
um, and you apply it within digital democracy. And I figured out very quickly that a, a route to market selling to the government when it's your first business is very long and painful. And I spent a, a long time on that, uh, trying to do the customer discovery process with politicians, public sec like senior public sector uh, staff. And yeah, I once I started getting in behind the scenes, realized that there's this whole kind of emerging space and technology of people building public consultation tools, digital democracy tools, but that the people in the public sector are just still using SurveyMonkey. Uh, so that kind of snapped me out of it. I said, okay, I need to think a lot bigger picture here. Um, and then we started to go hunting for uh, a, a good customer segment to, to sell Opinion X to, which is not the way you're meant to build a startup at all. We were technology in search of a problem, which is a long, a long and painful process again, uh, to, to use that phrase. And we thankfully we eventually found it, but along the way we hit pretty much every single pitfall we could have made as a startup. We were we were quite aware that that was going to happen, so we we cycled through them pretty quickly. But just two weeks ago, we kind of threw up a whiteboard, uh, myself and some of the team to map out what are all the mistakes a startup could make along the way. And we are pretty much just throwing up every mistake we made, uh, which thankfully nearly all of those are things that Opinion X helps people avoid or do, do better or, or learn faster. So yeah, it, it's, I think that's been important for us. It's part of the reason why we can look at it with so much self-awareness and kind of teach it back to other people is that we made all the mistakes along the way. What continues to drive you today? Uh, so I saw a talk before from Owen McCabe, the, the founding CEO of Intercom. Yes. And he was at, it was by the Irish Graduates Network, I think, were the ones that set it up, but I could be wrong on that. They, and he was asked this question about like, what drives you? And like, I always see the same answers on this. It's like uh, impact in the world, which is something that I care about, um, uh, about like seeing the people along the journey grow and become better people and kind of become more confident and experts in their fields. Again, that's something that I actually really care about. It's something mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of, particularly with Techstars and Enactus. But his answer was definitely like the true answer. He was like, uh, I think he said, I'm just a bit of a maniac that loves a, a challenge and what bigger challenge than trying to create a company. And to be honest, I think that's probably a much better answer. And the reason why I think it's a good answer is if you compare music to a startup, the, the route to success couldn't be more opposite. So in music, what, what you really have to do is just pursue your own interests, find a sound and create that. And if it's great, people will, will flock to it. Whereas in, in startups, it's the opposite. You're not meant to independently pursue your own personal flavor of technology. It's all about like, uh, like operationally chasing down other people's problems and validating everything you do before doing it. Um, so like, it's a great challenge because you can't just sit in a room on your own. It takes a lot of these counterintuitive ways of thinking to figure it out, a lot of grit and just a hell of a lot of time. Um, because I think one of the, the biggest routes to success in a startup is just waking up every morning, sitting down at this desk in my bedroom and just like banging out 10 hours of, of work. So. Yeah, I think that's probably the best answer I've ever come across. It's literally just like this giant challenge and it's fun picking a challenge that's probably a bit too big to win. 
Two final questions. If your house was burning down, your loved ones are all safe, but you can only save one item, what one item would that be? Yeah, in the uh, drawer just back behind me, I have a three terabyte hard drive that has everything uh, I know and love on it. So it would be that. It has basically all my photos growing up. It has, um, yeah, everything from like the three or four laptops I've gone through over the last few years. I, I Probably that. I mean, the rest can be replaced, but uh, a lot of that will be gone forever. So I definitely jump to that first. Solid answer. Uh, I'd like you to imagine it's the year 2030 and we're now chatting as if it's the year 2030, but you're looking back on the last decade. What would you like, answer this person now professionally, what would you like to be looking back on? What would I like to be looking back on over the last decade? Yeah, if we're now talking as if it's 2030. Uh, ooh. So, I mean, this is this question is usually asked within the, within the context of the startup specifically. So I kind of know what some of those things are. Um, like I, I'd love to be at a scale where we have like our own team that, that spans all over the world where we're helping like a countless number of people um, successfully like live their dream of setting up a, a good business and growing it. Um, I'd love to spread resources beyond Opinion X. So like we, we spend a lot of time thinking about the content that we write and, and how that can help people. And I think the potential behind that is huge. I'd love to spread into every type of medium we could find on that front. But outside of all that startup stuff, I probably haven't like articulated it as much because it's, it's not usually asked. So like 20, by like 2031, let's say uh, I'll be in my early 30s. So I want to at least not have neglected a lot of like your, the, the personal milestones that you hit throughout like your early uh, to late 20s and then early 30s as well. Like uh, I want to be sure that I don't neglect personal relationships, whether that's romantically or friends. Like mm. there's kind of a, a lot to learn on that front too. And sticking my head in this laptop is not going to teach me the lessons I need to get better at that part of my life. So yeah, I want to make sure I don't forfeit all of that. Um, I want to be sure that I spend enough time with family as well. Like uh, I've done, like you said, a lot of stints living and traveling abroad. But um, I, I hope that in those 10 years, I look back and see that I've spent enough time with the people who matter as well. So, yeah, that's that's the way I'd probably think about it. I like that answer. Daniel, I've had a true pleasure getting to know you a little better over the last 30, 35 minutes. And I wish you nothing but the best going forward. Thanks very much, Reen. You too. Hey, yo, Metro, don't trust you. I'm going to show you. Beautiful